Hello, and welcome to People of the Pod, brought to you by American Jewish Committee. Each week, we take you beyond the headlines to help you understand what they all mean for America, Israel, and the Jewish people. I'm your host, Manya Brashear-Pashman. People of the Pod is celebrating Jewish American Heritage Month by devoting all of our May episodes to what makes us Jewish and proud, food, music, and our mission to repair the world. Last week, you heard from AJC CEO Ted Deutsch about why we should set aside a month to celebrate. This week, nods to our obsession with food. And for that, I'll turn it over to my guest co-host, Laura Shaw-Frank, AJC's Director of Contemporary Jewish Life. Laura, the mic is yours. Thanks, Manya. Happy Jewish American Heritage Month. As we celebrate Jewish American culture and history this month, it feels like we would be quite remiss if we didn't spend some time talking about Jewish food. Food plays an enormous role in Jewish tradition and culture. Jews have foods linked to particular Jewish holidays and, of course, Shabbat. Ethnic foods linked to particular places where Jews lived. And, of course, lots of Jews, myself included, keep kosher, follow the laws of kashrut, which deeply influences the way we cook and eat. I think I'd be pretty safe in saying that Jewish food is really important in Jewish life. Not surprisingly, statistics bear this out. In the Pew survey of Jewish Americans in 2020, over 70% of American Jews, young and old alike, reported cooking or eating traditional Jewish foods, which is why I'm so excited to be joined by today's guest, Chani Apfelbaum. Hani is a food writer and a photographer whose blog, Busy in Brooklyn, is chock full of delectable recipes and beautiful pictures of amazing Jewish foods. Her newest cookbook, Totally Kosher, hit bookstores in March 2023. Hani, welcome to People of the Pod. Thanks so much for having me. I'm thrilled to have you and really thrilled to talk to you about your new cookbook. So before we get into that, though, let's take a step backward. How did you get into kosher cooking? Well, I was born Jewish. That's the first step always. I always say it's like learning your way around the kitchen is just a rite of passage when you get married um, and being a Jewish housewife. Obviously, we have, you know, Shabbat dinner every week and, and so many holidays and Jews are always just celebrating around food. I actually never stepped foot in the kitchen before I got married. Never really helped my mom. My older sister used to help with cooking. It just looked like a chore to me. I'm a very creative soul, very artistic, and it just seemed like a whole lot of rules. And I just wasn't interested. And then I got married and I would call my mother every Friday and like, how do I make a filter fish and potato kugel and chicken soup? And I started hosting a lot and people started asking me for my recipes. And I realized that I kind of had a knack for presentation because I've always been artistic and, you know, like composition and things like that. And my food always was presented nicely and looked beautiful. So it kind of got me a little bit interested, piqued my interest, and I realized that it could be a way for me to explore my creative side. So I started watching the Food Network a lot, and I subscribed to Bon Appetit magazine and started looking at cookbooks. And then when I had my third child, I didn't want to really work outside the house anymore. So I was like, what should I do with myself? I, I'm, I'm not the type of person that could just like be a stay-at-home mom. I, I would lose my mind. So I was like, okay, I'm going to start a blog. And there really weren't any food blogs and no kosher food blogs. This is back in 2011. There was like Smitten Kitchen. There was Pioneer Women. You know, those are both pioneers in the blogging world in general. There definitely weren't any kosher blogs. And I started my blog and I was cooking the traditional Jewish Hamish 
Ashkenazi food that I grew up with, talking a little about being a mom. And, you know, I had my crochet projects on there and it was just like my place to get creative and have an outlet. And then feedback really started pouring in, like everything I was posting, people were so interested. It wasn't, you know, it didn't exist in the kosher world. And despite not being a big foodie, I just continued to do my thing and taking terrible pictures in the yellow light of my kitchen island on automatic with my terrible camera. And over time, just my food started to evolve. My photography started to evolve. And fast forward a couple of years, I went to kosher culinary school, which really helped me kind of open my mind to new flavors, which I was kind of, I think, stuck a little bit in the you know, Ashkenazi palette of paprika and garlic powder, as I like to say, and just like tried all these, you know, Indian food and Thai food and all these flavors that I literally never, ever experienced. And it just blew my mind open in so many ways. Being creative, a few of my friends started blogs around the same time. And every time a holiday would come around, it was like, who's going to come up with the coolest latka or the coolest hamantash or the most creative you know, donut. So it really pushed my competitive side and also my creative side. And I just started really thinking outside the box and doing a lot of these cool twists on tradition and fusion recipes and caught a lot of attention in mainstream media and everything kind of just, you know, went from there, I guess. That's amazing. I want to pick up on one thing that you said. You said that when you started blogging, that so many people got in touch with you and you were obviously bringing them content that they hadn't seen before in the kosher food universe. So tell us a little more about that. What do you think was missing from the conversations around kosher food before you entered the space? I mean, I'll just, you know, (laughs) tell you when I got married, everyone got the Spice and Spirit cookbook from Lubavitch. I still use it, by the way. It's a fantastic cookbook, but it's a more traditional cookbook. So what did you bring that was different to kosher cooking? There's one story that sticks out in my mind because I've always been this person that like picks up hobbies along the way. I'm knitting, I'm crocheting, I'm scrapbooking. Like I pick up a hobby, I do it for a couple of months and then I kind of let it go. So I always ask myself, like, what was it about food blogging that really stuck for me? And I think that I realized the power of it. One year I made this recipe for the nine days when we don't eat meat before Tisha B'Av. Some people have a custom not to eat any meat recipes because it's, you know, a time of mourning. It's a serious time before the anniversary of the destruction of the Holy Temple. So, you know, wine and meat are more celebratory things that we eat. So those are restricted for nine days before Tisha B'Av. So I made this recipe for chili pie in jars and it was like a vegetarian chili, a layer of cheddar cheese and corn bread, and you bake it in a mason jar in the oven. So each person has basically their own pie. So I made this recipe and I put it on my blog. And this is before Instagram. Like you can't DM somebody a picture. It's before smartphones. You can't just take a picture on your smartphone. So somebody like took out their digital camera, took a picture of their family sitting around the table. Everyone's holding their own mason jar and like took the SD card out, put it in their laptop and sent me an email, right? This is like early days of my blog. I get this picture. I see a whole family sitting around the table eating my recipe and I am like, oh my God, how powerful is this that I have the opportunity to bring families around the table? It is so special. And I think that that's something that really stuck with me through all my years of blogging and really at the core for me, what keeps me going because I realize the power of food, especially as a a proud Jew to celebrate our traditions through food because, you know, thank God through my platform and I like get messages from people like, you know, someone sent me a message from literally Zimbabwe making challah for the first time. And it's just so special to me. So, you know, obviously as a mom of five, I'm always cooking dinner and it can feel like a chore. I get cooking fatigue like everybody else. 
and cooking Shabbat dinner every week. You know, I always say in, in the main world, they make this big deal about Thanksgiving. You know, you have to plan your menu from Sunday and then your shopping list from Tuesday and all that. But like, we literally have Thanksgiving every Friday night. Like it's a three course or four course meal sometimes. So yeah, I, I get the cooking fatigue. And for me, like I want to show people how to bring the love back in the kitchen. You know, like how food can be more than just a way of sustaining ourselves. It could be a way of celebrating our Jewishness. It could be a way of bringing our family around the table. It could be a way of getting pleasure out of life. You know, food can be so delicious and it can open your eyes and experience global cuisine. That's so cool and amazing. So I had that aha moment for myself and I want other people to have it too, you know? That's amazing. I love that. So what you're really saying is that food and culture are really intertwined with one another. And you gave this example of the nine days before the Jewish fast day of Tisha B'Av, which takes place in the summertime when it's traditional among religious Jews to not eat meat and wine and talking about sort of adjusting recipes. Could you give us a couple of other examples of ways that you see sort of Jewish history, Jewish culture, Jewish tradition embedded in food? Look at the holidays, right? Um, Rosh Hashanah, we have like a lot of symbolic foods that, you know, most people know of apple and honey, but there are actually like a whole range of symbolic foods that we eat, like the actual names in Hebrew of those foods point to different things that we want for our year. Like we eat a fish head because we want to be like a head and not a tail. For me, that really helped me kind of zone in on what is my niche here, right? I'm a kosher food blogger, but how do I define my skill or who I am? Because, you know, every blogger kind of has their thing. And for me, a lot of it is centered around the holidays because first of all, for me, like I have so many beautiful memories growing up. My mother is very much a traditional Ashkenazi cook making kogel and gefilte fish and chalin and matzo ball soup. She doesn't veer away from that. Those are the dishes that I grew up in and so nostalgic for me. And there's a place for that. Our home was always open. We had so many guests. I actually grew up in Crown Heights. So I really zone in a lot on holiday foods, but putting my own spin on it because I feel like people want something fresh and new and exciting. I definitely think there's a place for the traditional food. You want to mix it up and have a little bit something fresh and new and something old. That's great. We're lucky that we have that core of our heritage and our traditions throughout the year with so many Jewish holidays that allow us to get together with family, with friends and celebrate our Jewishness. So my husband and my three sons are all vegan. My daughter oh, wow. and I are not. So, but my husband okay. and three sons are vegan. You know, as I was thinking about interviewing you, I was thinking about how kosher cooking is always intertwined with the places that it's located in and the time mm -hmm. in which it's occurring. So okay. do you feel like your cooking has been influenced by the recent trends toward vegetarian and vegan and more plant-based eating? I definitely, just as someone who grew up eating a lot of heavy Ashkenazi food, right? Being in the food world, seeing what's out there, Besides for the fact that it's trendy, I feel like after Shabbat, I want to break from meat and animal protein. I mean, we're eating fish. We're usually having three courses, right? We're having fish, we're having chicken soup, we're having some kind of meat or chicken. Sunday, we're usually having leftovers because there's just so much food from Shabbat. So like come Monday, we do in my house, in my first cookbook, Millennial Kosher, which came out in 2018, I had a meatless meals chapter. And that was really new for any kosher cookbook. You don't find it. You find like definitely very heavy meat chapters, but it was important to me because I instituted that in my house many years ago. And I have it in this book as well. And I got so much amazing feedback because there's a lot of people out there who don't eat meat. There's a lot of vegetarians, there's a lot of vegans. 
And they were so happy that I was bringing that to the kosher world and, of course, wanted to bring it again. And also, my kids love it. Like, come Monday, they know it's Meatless Monday in my house. God forbid I didn't have time to think of something and I bring chicken. They're like, what's going on here? Ma, it's Meatless Monday. It's like a rule. So I include this in the book where I talk about the way I structure my week because it really helped me kind of take the guesswork out of what am I making for dinner, right? So, like, I have a loose framework while still allowing me the possibility to be creative. Because I love, you know, playing chopped with my kids, with whatever's in my fridge or my pantry. I want the possibility to be creative, but I still need a little bit of a framework. So Sundays we'll have leftovers. If there's no leftovers, we'll do like a barbecue or sometimes a restaurant if we're out for the day. Monday's meatless. Tuesday is beef. Wednesdays is chicken. Thursdays is dairy. Shabbos is Friday night. It's always a little bit different. And then Saturday night is eggs. It gives me the base protein. I know what I'm working off of. And then From that, I can kind of, you know, play around. And I think that really helps people that are so overwhelmed with the idea of what am I making for dinner? You wake up on a Tuesday morning, you know it's meat day. Okay, I got to take out some kind of meat from the freezer. I'll figure out what I'm doing with it later. Maybe I'll make tacos. Maybe I'll make spaghetti bolognese. Maybe I'll make burgers. But you took the meat out, you know? But going back to your question, so, you know, Mondays is meatless in my house and and we're a big bean family. My kids love beans. One of their favorite dinners are my refried bean tacos that are in my first book. I have these amazing smashed falafel burgers in this book. Like I said, we love beans. I do curries. I do falafel. Once in a while, I'll try to play around with tofu. My kids don't love it too much. Tempeh is something. I have tempeh shawarma in the book, which is really amazing. Let's not forget to mention plant-based beef, which I think totally revolutionized the kosher experience because when could we ever make, you know, meat and dairy together? Because that's one of the basic rules within the kosher kitchen. You can't mix meat and dairy together in the same dish. My kids love when I make smash burgers for dinner. And I always said, like, I don't love vegan dairy products. You just don't get that cheese pull. But like with the vegan meat products, with the new plant-based, like Impossible Beef, it's really close to the real thing. It really is. We love Impossible Burgers in our house. And I want to try that tempeh shawarma. Oh, it's really good. What recipe would you say was kind of the biggest surprise for you? I mean, it seems to me like you often work from traditional Jewish recipes, but it seems like you also are constantly innovating and making up your own recipes. So is there a recipe that just you just kind of surprised yourself and couldn't believe how it turned out? My favorite recipe in the book is my pad pie. It's kind of a Middle Eastern spin on pad thai where I use like harissa and silan and lime and tamarind in the sauce. And it, all the feels of pad thai with just that little hint of, the, of Middle Eastern flavor. And pad thai is always finished with crushed peanuts and I put crushed bamba over the top. And it's just so fun and playful. And I also love fun names. So I, I love the just, just the name of it. But it's really a reflection of... First of all, my favorite flavors, like I love Middle Eastern food. I love Thai food, marrying them together and just like it's colorful and beautiful and so flavorful. Everything I love about food and was really inspired by the Pad Thai I made in culinary school. And it was one of the dishes that really, really transformed my palate completely. So it's an ode to that. You're getting me very excited to go home and make dinner for the next few nights. <laughs> you see right there. <laughs> so your latest cookbook, Totally Kosher, is yeah. being published by Random House. Yes. And that's a really interesting thing for a kosher, kind of a niche cookbook to be published by a very mainstream publisher. So right. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about how it came about that you got, first of all, that you got Random House to publish your cookbook, which is amazing. But yeah. second of all, why you left sort of the more Jewish, the more Orthodox publishing world. With Clarkson Potter's one of the imprints of Frank Random House, that's an imprint. They haven't written a kosher book in many, many, many years. Uh, thank God 
you know, I've been in this industry for 12 years and, and I already wrote a very successful book. So my name is really out there. People know me as being the kosher cook. So they did approach me to write the book, which was really an honor. I had a very good experience the first time around working with Artscroll. Artscroll is like the main Jewish distributor and publisher of Jewish books. My book was beautiful and their distribution is really unmatched, but it's really only in the Jewish world. Like they all get your book in every Judaica shop in the world, but not in Barnes and Nobles and not in, you know, in mainstream, uh, you know, indie booksellers. I really wanted to reach a larger demographic of Jews as a blogger and people have come to know me and my family. I wanted to put like more lifestyle photos in and, you know, most Jewish publishers don't actually publish photos of women in their books, which is something that I definitely want to see change. And I put, you know, beautiful pictures of my family, me and my daughter's lighting Shabbos candles, which is something that like the moment of my week that I look forward to and that special time for me that I really feel like I connect with my Jewishness. And, um, you know, my book is dedicated in memory of my Bubby and to my mother and to my daughters. And for me, it's really about the Jewish family and Jewish pride, not just about food, but really about family. And I wanted to be able to portray that through the photos in the book. So that was another reason for, you know, moving mainstream. I think that's just amazing. And I just think it's so wonderful that you are illustrating your cookbook with pictures that are not just about Jewish pride, but also about the special pride of Jewish women and the special, you know, of course, not only women cook, you know, men cook too. I have to say my husband cooks dinner a lot more than I do. And Mm -hmm. kids cook and lots of different people find a lot of wonderful fulfillment in the kitchen. But of course, we do have this very long tradition of women cooking for their families, um, even as we change it up today. And I just think it's beautiful that you actually intentionally used pictures of women of your Mm -hmm. family um, in your cookbook. And my sons are, my sons are there too. (laughs) Excellent. As well they should be. Let's make it a family experience. Exactly. Exactly. Speaking of family experience, you've written about why it's so important to you to encourage family meals with everyone sitting together around the table, whether it's on Shabbat or holidays or even just a weekday dinner. Could you share with us why that's so important to you? I grew up in a very open home. My mom always had so many guests for Shabbat, for the holidays. I grew up on the block of 770 Eastern Parkway, uh, Chabad Lubavitch headquarters, and our house was just always open to guests. And it's something, a value that was instilled in me from early on. And I don't know if you know this, but my brother, Ari Haberstam, was actually killed in a terrorist attack on the Brooklyn Bridge in 1994. And, you know, that's something that I feel like, I don't think people realize When you lose a family member in that way, it's not like, okay, you just lost your brother, but it affects, you know, the whole family really for generations. And I think that one of the things that I lost is having those experiences around the table and especially, you know, so many memories with my brother at the table as well. So for me, I find so much healing, first of all, healing, but also just, I see the greatness and the power to bring families around the table, to create family memories. So many that I draw great comfort from. I want other people to be able to experience that. And it's important for me to do that. Also, you know, as a way to remember him and celebrate what he lived for and what he died for. That's incredible. And it's an incredible message to all of us to be in the moment and treasure those moments around the table. So the last thing I want to ask you is, so you have this cookbook that's being published by a mainstream publisher. And we know that, you know, not a lot of Jews keep kosher. The percentages are, are not that high. Mm-hmm. Do you think your cookbook appeals beyond just a kosher audience? 
Well, I'll tell you that I have a lot of, forget about non-kosher keeping. I have a lot of non-Jewish followers on Instagram that buy my book because they just like my style of cooking. I know it's called Totally Kosher, and obviously it's a celebration of kosher and celebration of our Jewish heritage and our customs and traditions. But at the same time, like, it's just good food. It's just good food despite it being kosher. And really, I, I really want to break that stigma that there is about kosher food, that kosher food is brown. And it is brown, you know, like I can't take it away. Matzo ball soup is beige and gefilte fish is beige and potato cocos beige and brisket's brown. And, you know, there's a reason for the stereotype. Chillin's brown look, too. It is. And if you look through my book, one thing that will pop out at you is how colorful the food is and how beautiful the food is. And, and like I said earlier, like I came to food by means of artistry. They say people eat with their eyes first and it has changed. And I think in the mainstream world, they haven't quite realized how kosher has evolved. I mean, there's so many different restaurants, kosher restaurants now that celebrate different global cuisine. There's a Peruvian Japanese restaurant in the city. There's a Georgian restaurant in Queens. Like it's not just, you know, your Bubby's uh, stuffed cabbage anymore. And, you know, I want, like I said, the stigma to change and, you know, make waves in the mainstream world to see kosher a little bit differently. Well, I'm for one very excited to start making some recipes from Totally Kosher. And I just want to thank you, Hani, so much for coming to join us on People of the Pod. I think that you are bringing such a fresh take and such a warmth and such a deep sense of Jewish culture and peoplehood and family and love to your work. And it's really more than just about kosher cooking. It's really about something much bigger. And um, I just want to thank you for that. So thanks so much for joining us today. And I know we're going to have a lot of listeners going to buy your cookbook. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. This episode is brought to you by AJC. Our producer is Atara Lakritz. Our sound engineer is TK Broderick. You can subscribe to People of the Pod on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts, or learn more at AJC.org slash People of the Pod. The views and opinions of our guests don't necessarily reflect the positions of AJC. We'd love to hear your views and opinions or your questions. You can reach us at peopleofthepod at AJC.org. If you've enjoyed this episode, please be sure to tell your friends, tag us on social media with hashtag peopleofthepod, and hop on to Apple Podcasts to rate us and write a review to help more listeners find us. Tune in next week for another episode of People of the Pod.